turned to alcohol for a while as a way to numb that. The heavier I drank, the less I cared. The, the less I cared, the harder it got to be achieving my goals. The harder my goals got to achieve, the worse I got. I remember uh, tying an extension cord into a noose and walking around my trailer looking for something to tie off to. Had I found something to tie off to that day, I wouldn't be sitting here. It was that bad, that close. WVIA's Mind Over Matter, a mental health initiative, is underwritten by Geisinger. When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital, doctors, health insurance? We're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital, it's for you. Wanna fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too. And Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local healthcare system and your local pharmacy. Hello everyone, welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast. I'm Tracy Matasek, and in this episode, we're talking about mental health and military veterans. According to the CDC, about 17 veterans die by suicide every day in America. And in Northeast Pennsylvania, Carbon County has the highest veteran suicide rate in the state, with several other Northeast PA counties not far behind. Post-traumatic stress disorder affects anywhere from 11 to 20 percent of U.S. veterans, and many struggle with depression, anxiety, and substance use disorders after returning home. James McLean is a U.S. Navy veteran from Gouldsboro, PA, whose mental health challenges nearly ended his life. We'll hear from him later in the podcast, but we begin with Dr. Kylie Oleski from Geisinger. She is the Director of Adult Integrated Services in the Psychiatry Department, where she treats a variety of behavioral health conditions, including depression, anxiety, mood disorders, and trauma. Dr. Oleski, welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So when we think of military veterans and mental health issues, usually PTSD is the first thing that comes to mind. But as we mentioned, a lot of veterans also struggle with depression and anxiety. Can you explain briefly the connection between PTSD and anxiety or depression? Absolutely. So I think it's important to recognize that any veteran returning from service is facing a huge adjustment in their life, right? It's a big change to step out of any sort of military role and return to civilian life. So along with any big adjustment, we can see a variety of concerns emerge, including depression, anxiety, and PTSD, as you mentioned. So some ways to distinguish amongst the three of them would be to also recognize that depression and anxiety can occur independently, and they can also occur as a function of PTSD. So let's talk about depression first. Depression is characterized by this uh, fatigue, this low energy, low motivation, um, kind of difficulty getting up and going, maybe pulling away from things you once enjoyed, isolating from others. There could be appetite changes in either direction or sleep changes in either direction. Um, and in very severe cases could be marked by some thoughts of suicide or self-harm. Anxiety functions differently. Anxiety is marked by a pervasive sense of worry and nervousness, 
uh, this feeling that something bad is going to happen even without any clear evidence for that to be the case, and is often marked by physiological changes such as increased heart rate, um, shakiness, sweatiness, uh, trembling, GI issues, frequent headaches. Anxiety tends to manifest as a very physical condition. So then we have PTSD, which, as I mentioned before, can include both of those markers of depression and anxiety. Um, but PTSD also has other necessary components. Um, and that's th those components are more of this um, hyper arousal. So easily startled, um, feeling very on edge, maybe difficulty in public places. And then one of the biggest hallmarks of PTSD are uh, recurring nightmares, um, flashbacks, reimagining of the traumatic events, avoidance of any sort of trigger associated with the event. That that about summarizes what what PSD is. Yeah, I'd like to play a soundbite for you from James McLean. I mentioned him a moment ago. He is a Navy veteran who was removed from his position when a drill that he was running on board the ship went badly, and that was the beginning of a mental health spiral for him that nearly had a tragic ending. Here it is. I turned to alcohol for a while as a way to numb that. The heavier I drank, the less I cared. The, the less I cared, the harder it got to be achieving my goals. The harder my goals got to achieve, the worse I got. I remember uh, tying an extension cord into a noose and walking around my trailer looking for something to tie off to. Had I found something to tie off to that day, I wouldn't be sitting. It was that bad, that close. We'll hear more from James later in the podcast, but Dr. Oleski, as a clinician, what goes through your mind when you hear James's story? Well, my first thought is just how terrible he must have been feeling and how I wish that he had the supports in place that many veterans benefit from having, you know, when they return from service. Yeah, and we'll hear more from him, and he ultimately has gotten quite a bit of support and is doing much better. I was thinking, too, as I was listening, that he sort of went through the series of unhealthy coping mechanisms, right? Like alcohol, and then he became angry and began to act out, and, uh, you know, it just seemed like he sort of went on this spiral from one thing to another down the road to, you know, considering suicide. Yeah, yes. Unfortunately, that is such a common experience. You know, the emotional pain and psychological pain is is so terrible and overwhelming that it, it's normal for people to want to do anything to basically make it want or make it go away. Yeah. When we talked with James, he made it clear too that he was not the only one suffering. In fact, in the aftermath of his discharge, his wife ultimately, you know laid down an ultimatum for him and said, either you get help or I will take the kids and we will leave. And it just goes to show how these issues affect the entire family. His wife and kids were suffering as well. Absolutely. It does not occur in a vacuum. And many of the symptoms and behaviors that manifest secondary to depression, anxiety, PTSD, really any behavioral health concern can be quite disruptive to other people you know, in, in the, the person suffering in their environment. And in thinking about that, what can family members do um, when they've got someone who is in a spiral like that to help to prevent a potential suicide? One of the, the most important things for our support system to do is to do just that, to support us. So 
be there to to talk and to listen and to be very open and honest about what they're observing. Because sometimes when we're suffering from a mental health concern, we don't have the best awareness of our behavior and we're not seeing things so clearly. Um, And so that would include being very candid about what they're observing and encouraging the person to get connected with community resources and, you know, maybe helping them do that. Um, And there's always the National Suicide Hotline that anybody can contact if they're concerned somebody may be at risk of suicide. And that could be reached simply by dialing or texting uh, 988. And I wonder, as a clinician, Dr. Oleski, what might you say to a patient who seems to be contemplating taking their own life? So we would, of course, do a a pretty thorough safety and risk assessment. Our number one goal when we hear those words is to partner with the patient and uh, find ways to increase their safety um, and, and try to take steps to ensure that safety so that they do not take action on those thoughts. That would also include reducing access to means. Having access to means for suicide is one of the highest predictors of um, suicidal action. So that would include um, locking away maybe potentially dangerous medications, um, instilling locks on any sort of guns or keeping them in a gun safe, those types of things. We would also then talk with our patients about their reasons for living you know, what are their protective factors? What are the things that that keep them going and give them a sense of purpose? Um, and then in many cases, we also partner with the family to have an additional layer of support and kind of a safety net because they spend so much time, you know, with a patient outside of our office. So we definitely recruit them in our efforts to keep the patient safe. Yeah, it's really a multi-pronged approach, it sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a little bit more from our earlier interview with James that I'd like you to react to. And in this case, He talks about the particular challenges that many veterans face in getting help with their mental health. Here it is. The other thing is a lot of vets don't want to seek help because they don't want to show weakness. They took every ounce of strength I could to get the help and to accept the work that the doctors were telling me I had to put in. I do not have PTSD. I deal with depression and anxiety. And those two just play havoc with each other. But it's terrible that a lot of us feel like we don't have help or don't have resources. So there's so many different types of therapy out there. At least the biggest one for me was cognitive behavioral therapy, which helped a lot. I wasn't the only one going through what I was going through. A couple of things there that we can unpack, Dr. Roleski. And the first is, I'm wondering if you can address what James said about the unwillingness that a lot of veterans have, and non-veterans for that matter, um, to seek help when it comes to mental health. Absolutely. I think our society has come a very long way in destigmatizing uh, mental health concerns, but I think the sad reality is is that that stigma, unfortunately, very much still exists in some cases. Um, so the stigma makes it really challenging at times for people to reach out because there's fear of being judged, um, misunderstood, right? Really not heard. Um, it's also super difficult to be vulnerable and open up and talk about these things um, and, and do the work that is needed to work through them. Yeah. And I know certainly that you have not seen James as a patient, but I'm curious. He said that he does not have PTSD, but he struggles with depression and anxiety. I'm just wondering if it's possible that there's some PTSD there simply because there is a traumatic memory that really was the thing that kind of sent him down that spiral. Is it possible that, you know, there's a little bit of PTSD going on there as well? It is certainly possible. 
But it's also um, important to point out that there are many, many people who will experience a traumatic event or even several traumatic events and never develop symptoms of PTSD. Um, mm. And that is simply because you know everybody's brain functions a bit differently. Everybody has different genetic predispositions. So it's possible that he may be experiencing it, but it is also possible that it is more purely depression and anxiety. And you're listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast. I'm Tracy Matisak. We have been talking with Dr. Kylie Oleski from Geisinger. And we also will be hearing from James McLean. James is a second vice commander in the American Legion Post 274 in Gouldsboro, Pennsylvania. We will hear more of his story in a moment. But Dr. Oleski, I want to talk to you about what treatment looks like for someone like James, someone who is struggling with depression and anxiety, veteran or not, what are the treatment options? Definitely. So uh, the frontline treatment for depression and anxiety is therapy, uh, psychotherapy, talk therapy, uh, whatever term you, you want to use for that, but from a specific orientation of cognitive behavioral therapy. There's lots of evidence to support the effectiveness of cognitive behavioral therapy, and that is a more structured approach to treatment that focuses on things like improving coping skills, developing skills to be able to effectively relax and manage anxiety in the moment, things like behavioral activation to help with depression, um, and examining our thinking patterns and how they may contribute to our symptoms. Yeah, as I understand it, a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy is recognizing kind of where your thinking is going sideways and coming up with um, better, maybe more realistic um, kinds of thoughts that help you to feel better than the thoughts that you were having. Does that sound right? That is absolutely correct. We call that cognitive restructuring. Yeah. And what about medications, Dr. Oleski? Um, you know, if if talk therapy is helpful, but maybe not enough, where do you go in terms of medication? Yeah, there are lots of medication options, primarily a antidepressant, which the term is a little bit misleading because they are also the, a frontline treatment for anxiety disorders as well. Um, and that is a conversation that can often be started with a primary care doctor and managed through them. And in some cases, we would then escalate it maybe to psychiatry, where they can offer some more specialty uh, prescribing practices for behavioral health. Yeah, and I don't have to tell you that it's not uncommon for people to have reservations about taking psychiatric meds, either because of the stigma that can be attached to them, and you mentioned that a few minutes ago, or just because of the concerns about side effects. And I wonder, you know, what would you say to someone who has those kinds of concerns? Sure. Some psychotropic medications, unfortunately, do have a high side effect profile. However, the ones that we are speaking about in terms of antidepressants tend to have quite low side effects and are very well tolerated by, by most people. Um, and I would remind everybody that just because a side effect is listed, it does not mean that you are guaranteed to experience that. So I would encourage people to not focus so much on those and it, give it a try given the overwhelming you know, number of people who tend to respond quite well to those types of medications. Yeah. You know, James also said that group therapy helped him to realize that he wasn't the only one who was going through what he was going through. Can you address the importance of community as part of the healing process? Absolutely. Yeah. So group therapy is a, often a very large component of treatment through VAs, uh, Veterans Administrations. So I was not at all surprised to hear that um, James had some of that experience. And there's also lots of evidence that demonstrates the effectiveness of groups 
for just the point that you mentioned, the sense of community. When we're struggling with any sort of behavioral health concern, it's really important to know that we're not alone. You know, relying on our support system, leaning into them really does help reduce that stigma. It just helps us feel more emotionally supported and connected. And there's a lot of research outcomes that demonstrate, you know, the more connected we are um, to our support system, it kind of helps protect and buffer against symptoms of depression. Yeah. Of course, a lot has been written and reported about on the rise in depression and anxiety across the board in recent years, especially since COVID came on the scene. I'm just wondering what you've observed in your practice, if you're seeing more people who are coming in with depression and anxiety. We are. So I work in a setting where I'm in a primary care doctor's office. So we're really, my team is like the the front door for any sort of behavioral health concern. And referrals just across the board for all all conditions have really increased since COVID started. And we're certainly seeing more individuals presenting with um, depression and, and also a lot more anxiety and, and trauma included. Yeah. And one of the many challenges associated with that, of course, is that Access to mental health professionals can be difficult because the demand has exceeded the supply in a lot of cases, again, especially since COVID. So um, what advice would you have for someone who maybe doesn't have immediate access to a doctor or a therapist about how they can begin to help themselves heal, at least until they can get additional support? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, the, the mental health field is just really overwhelmed at the moment. So the good news is, is that there are lots of really great self-help self-help resources that exist. So there's a variety of apps that people can utilize, self-help books that can you know, easily be purchased on Amazon or local bookstores. And then there are things that um, folks can do, you know, outside of using apps and books. So things like relying on their support system and really trying to engage, connect with their communities also trying to stay active. So there's a, a tool called behavioral activation, and that focuses on increasing tasks that give us a sense of enjoyment and accomplishment. Because so often when we're depressed, we get away from those things, right? So we really encourage folks to try to practice some of the behaviors that they would typically be engaging in if they weren't depressed. And that's a lot of what we focus on when uh, somebody first enters treatment and are things that people can do outside the therapy room as well. Yeah, it sounds like these are things that you can, you know, do both before and after you begin to get some additional support and all of it with the goal of helping you to feel better in the long run. Exactly. Yeah, it's part yeah. of maintenance and maintaining treatment gains. Yeah. Dr. Kylie Oleski is the Director of Adult Integrated Services in the Psychiatry Department at Geisinger, where she treats a variety of behavioral health conditions. Dr. Oleski, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Much more to come on this episode of the Mind Over Matter podcast. In a moment, we'll hear from Navy veteran James McLean about his journey of healing from depression and anxiety. Meantime, special thanks to Dr. Kylie Oleski for joining us for this important conversation. And we'll be back right after this. WVIA presents a Mind Over Matter Minute. Hi, I'm Dr. Kylie Oleski from Geisinger. Humans are social beings. The COVID-19 pandemic has made it hard for many people to access their support systems. Many people living in rural areas, especially older adults, are isolated and have limited support readily available. Relationships that are positive and supportive can help us cope with stress and make us healthier. 
Having in-person connections when possible is great, but not always possible. Online support through FaceTime with our loved ones and friends, social media, and online support groups are helpful ways for people to connect when they can't get together physically. Sometimes reaching out for support can be hard, but it's worth it. Remember, you are not alone. For more, visit wvia.org forward slash mindovermatter or dial 211 to speak with someone who can help. Mind Over Matter is presented by WVIA in partnership with Geisinger. Thanks for joining us on the Mind Over Matter podcast, where we're talking about military veterans and mental health. Joining us now is Navy veteran James McLean. James is second vice commander of the American Legion Post 274 in Gouldsboro, PA, and he served in the U.S. Navy for nearly five years as a hull maintenance technician. James McLean, thank you, first of all, for your service, and thanks so much for joining us on the Mind Over Matter podcast. Thank you for having me. So, James, we heard a little bit about your journey earlier in the podcast, and you told us about a drill that didn't go well that led to your being removed from your position and how that ultimately took you to a very dark place. I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit more about, you know, what was going through your mind at that time that led you to the point of thinking about taking your own life? Well, at that point in time, after uh, I kind of got removed from a position that I worked very hard to get to, uh, for really just sticking up for the people that served under me, I I just really kind of felt lost and started feeling really overwhelmed, uh, so to speak. And, uh, just really starting to feel like I wasn't going to get anywhere and just started beating myself up more and more over the things like that. And every little thing after that was just seen as another setback. So I just kind of started really looking at myself as a failure and that I was letting other people around me down, you know? It sounds like there was a sense of hopelessness that was setting in. Uh, started into the family life and things like that, started feeling that I was letting my wife and kids down as well. And it, it just started snowballing. Once it kind of started building, I couldn't, I lost control of it. I couldn't stop that, that feeling. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And I got angrier at other people. And the angrier I got, the more depressed I got because I didn't like the way I was feeling when I was that angry. And it just kept feeding more and more to the point where I didn't want to hurt other people. So the only way I can think of that was to remove myself. And that's where the suicidal thoughts and actions started creeping in, you know? Yeah, it sounds like it was just one thing feeding on another. And you mentioned about how your wife eventually gave you an ultimatum about getting help. Was that the thing that sort of turned the tide for you? Was that what prompted you to look for help? Yeah, that kind of pushed me to the point where I went and saw a psychiatrist for the first time. At that point in time, I still thought it was other people that were the problem and not me, but I just wanted to make her happy. Not the psychiatrist. I have seen a counselor too. When I started talking to her is when I started realizing that I had issues or was able to admit that I had the issues. Unfortunately, at that point in time, I was up for orders and I was deemed unfit for sea duty and I got discharged. Yeah, and I don't imagine that that helped matters any because you were already feeling pretty awful at that point. Oh, uh, that was that was terrible for probably more than a year and a half after I was discharged from the service. Things just kept getting worse and worse for me because uh, I, I was not really doing the best I could to provide for my family because I was unemployed for the first nine months of that whole mess. 
So I was feeling like a failure there. I was angry at my wife because I blamed her for me getting kicked out because if she didn't ask me to get help, I never would have had it on my medical records that I had a suicide attempt. And things were just getting worse from there. Uh, It wasn't until I started back up at the VA and talking to doctors there that I really started to make any kind of progress. And that was still slow going. And James, you you talked about the difficulty that a lot of veterans have when it comes to reaching out for help, because they think that it implies a certain weakness. And certainly there has been a stigma attached to mental health issues. What would you say to a fellow veteran who is resisting help for that very reason? Well, the, the first thing I'd tell them is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And it took the most strength out of me to actually be able to admit that I had these problems. So it's definitely not a sign of weakness to need help. It, being able to accept that help is a much bigger sign of strength than ignoring the problem and hoping it goes away on its own, you know? What do you think needs to be done to reduce that stigma that's associated with mental health conditions, particularly in the veteran community? And it's a community where, you know, mental health struggles after deployment are not uncommon. Being able to have more open and honest discussions about it would be a huge help. Um, You know, hearing more voices like mine and other people who's gone through these and have come through on the other side and hearing what we have to say, it helped break down that stigma. You know, I I don't see myself as a weak person in any way, shape or form. And knowing that other people aren't weak for doing what they had to do to get the help needed might help more people understand that it's not a weakness, you know? I want to talk a little bit about what help looked like for you, because you talked about doing therapy, and you mentioned to us in an earlier interview that your doctors told you that there were, there was work that you had to do in order to heal. What did that work look like for you? Uh, the big thing with my doctors telling me there was a lot of work I needed to do was I, I don't like medications. Uh, I had a very bad experience on Risperdal. It really numbed me. And what is Risperdal? Uh, Risperdal was an antipsychotic, mm-hmm. uh, and it really just flatlined me emotionally. Like I, I couldn't laugh or feel joy or anything. I was just numb to the world. I told this to my doctors, and for them to not want to prescribe medications, I had to go through group therapies. Uh, I was in a therapist office at least once a week for months on end for a while. I had to do cognitive behavioral therapy and thought records. There was just a lot of stuff I had to keep doing and constantly doing. And it helped me start thinking about my mental health in a different way. It sounds like you had to really be consistent and and just kind of stay with it over a long time and think about the way that you were thinking, right? And how to change the way that you were thinking is is what it's sounding like. Yeah. Yeah. That's... A lot of what that cognitive behavioral therapy has to deal with is changing the way you think about situations. Yeah. Uh, It's it's a lot of work and it's there's still a lot of work I'm putting in to maintain an even keel, you know? Yeah. And and James, you talked about um, being with other veterans. You've mentioned group therapy and you had said to us earlier that that in itself was a huge help for you. What was it about being with other veterans that had such a healing effect? It was uh, that sense of not being alone in my struggles. You know, knowing I wasn't the only person dealing with what I was dealing with and seeing how other people had made certain strides that 
I hadn't or hadn't hit yet certain milestones that they had hit, you know, and being able to talk to somebody else that had been where I was and seen how they got through it kind of helped me connect the dots and make the work I was doing in my one-on-one sessions with my therapist make sense yeah. more. And you're an officer in the American Legion post near you. How instrumental has the American Legion been in helping you along the path to healing? Well, um, for, for me, the American Legion has always been there in Goolsboro for me. It's, it's been part of my, my life growing up. Me and my wife were married in our post. Oh, wow. Yeah. So being able to give back to the community and support other veterans in any way I can, uh, it kind of gives me other things to focus on instead of worrying about the dark thoughts that still sit in my head sometimes. Being able to focus on things and work on different tasks at the post and help grow that and help other vets in the community through the post, you know, helps me by helping others. Yeah, I think there's something about being outwardly focused, right, that sort of takes our minds off our own issues and, and troubles and, and can really be good medicine in itself. Yeah. So how are you feeling these days? I mean, how are you kind of keeping yourself in a good headspace? Well, I still do see my, my uh, see a therapist. I talk to her somewhere between every four to eight weeks, uh, sometimes a little bit more, depending on how uh, things are going. I'm in a better place where I'm not, my lows aren't as low. I still have a lot of work I need to do. I still have those days where I just feel like the world's just too much, or there's days where I think there people would be better off without me. Now, it's not going to that point where I want to remove myself from the world. It's just that I still feel sometimes that I'm a burden to others, you know, and I'm still working on all that. And I'm in a lot better place than I used to be. Which is really encouraging. It sounds like you've come a very long way and that, you know, uh, there's a saying that uh, the road to recovery is full of potholes, right? So it's, you know, it's a lot of work over a long time, but it sounds like you've made a great deal of progress and you're still working on it. Yeah. And, you know, and I do have to give a lot of credit to my wife for how far I've come. Uh, she stood by me through some very terrible times in my life when uh, most people would have said it was enough and left me. And I wouldn't have blamed her at all. But for her to stay by that really helped provide strength for me. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for, you know, family and friends that will rally around you, um, you know, in the worst of times, for sure. And that can go a long way toward your healing. And, and speaking of that, James, what would you say is the single most important thing that you did to contribute to your healing? I had to be honest with myself. I had to admit that there was a problem to start with. Uh, once I admitted that there was a problem with me, I was able to start working on it. Uh, when I wanted to blame everybody else for me being angry or depressed or for where I seen was lack of success in my personal and professional careers, I wanted to blame everybody else. As soon as I took that personal responsibility for any issues, I was able to start healing and reframing my mindset around different situations. Absolutely. That that was 
it, it is the hardest thing to admit that you have a problem. Well, it sounds like you are making great progress. Um, we're excited for you and for your family. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us and for the hope that you are giving to other veterans and really to all of us who struggle with anxiety, with depression, with all of these mental health issues. I think your story will encourage a lot of people. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you again. And I, I really hope I do inspire at least one person. And if it does, it's, it's worth all of what I've done. James McLean is second vice commander at the American Legion Post 274 in Gouldsboro, PA, and a veteran of the U.S. Navy. I'm Tracy Matisak, and you're listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast. For more information on this and other mental health topics, check out our website at wvia.org slash mindovermatter. Thanks for listening. See you next time. WVIA's Mind Over Matter. A mental health initiative is underwritten by Geisinger. When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital? Doctors? Health insurance? We're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital. It's for you. Want to fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too. And Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local healthcare system and your local pharmacy.